Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. That's our passage today, Acts chapter 13. Our key concept this morning is people who go, grow. I appreciate the team wearing the the Go t-shirt with that slogan on it. We use that regularly. We recognize that as we say yes uh, to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we grow. So as we go, we grow. And today we're going to see Saul and Barnabas go. But also, we're going to learn about a a wonderful church, the church in Antioch in Syria, a church that is so filled with the good news of the gospel that it flows out of them into the entire world. It was back in 1964 that Bob Dylan sang the song, The Times They Are A-Changing. And we feel kind of like it's, uh, again, appropriate to say that, that phrase, the times are changing. We live in unique days. We are going through unique times today in 2020. But also back in A.D. 47, the times were changing, particularly as it relates to the work of Jesus Christ. Up until now, the culture of the church has been Jewish and Gentiles have been largely ignored, but that is changing. Up until now, there's been no official missionary efforts on the part of the church, but that is about to change. Up until now, the only location sending forth Uh, believers into new areas is Jerusalem, but that too is changing. Up until now, the main human character of the, the book of Acts has been the apostle Peter, but that too is about to change as Saul of Tarsus, soon to be called Paul, using his Roman name, he's about to take center stage. And it's all because of what happens in the church in Antioch. It becomes the sending center for the message of Jesus Christ sending to the world. This is a critical moment in the history of the movement we call Christianity, the very first sending of intentional missionaries. And it happens in a church in a Gentile land. So, so let's, uh, for a moment, locate the city that we're talking about. Uh, I want to show you a map. On the very top of the map, you see Antioch, Syria. That, that's the uh, town where this church is located. I want you to notice that it's outside the nation of Israel. It's in Syria. It's probably a, a couple hundred miles west of Aleppo. And we hear about Aleppo a lot in our news today coming out of Syria and the 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 things that are happening there. So what was going on there? Well, let's go now to the Bible and read Acts chapter 13, the first five verses. This is what it says. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The very existence of the church at Antioch of Syria demonstrates how God always has a plan. 
Even in situations that we would consider to be a disaster, situations that we would never enter into voluntarily, God is working because the very reason that this church exists is because it was planted by the, the Christians that were scattered from Jerusalem in the persecution that has recently happened there. We read about that in Acts chapter 11. It says this, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Jesus was working in this Gentile city to bring about a people for himself. And when it talks about the church at Antioch where there were prophets and teachers, understand that it's not talking about a building. Recognize that the church, the word there is ecclesia, it's the called out ones. The church is people. It's always people. It's not about the structure. It's not about the building. We need to be reminded of that more than ever in these days. In these days when it's really outside of the church building that the church is taking place. But amongst the, among these people, they had prophets and teachers, and they were working something new for the Lord. In fact, it is in this context that the very first time that occurs when we, the followers of Jesus Christ, are called Christians. In Acts 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, when they first did that, it was a derogatory term. It was a mocking term. It meant belonging to Christ, or it could have been used meaning little Christs. And it was a, a derisive, divisive term. But we, the followers of Christ, have adopted that term as our title, and we go by that as a badge of honor today. But the reason why a new term was called for was because something new was happening in this church. It was a church where the worship of God set the direction of ministry. See, the calling that the Lord placed on the life of Barnabas and Saul, where does it happen? When does it happen? It happens when the church is at worship. While they are worshiping, fasting, and we should understand also praying, they encounter God. And when they encounter God, they recognize that God is calling them to do something new, something more. And it's when we worship that we get that message. Because in worship, we are humble before the Lord. And when we are humble, we are open, open to what He will say next. That's true of worship. It's an exercise of humility. And that exercise of humility creates openness as we give honor and glory to God. He is the re receiver of worship. He is the issue at worship. And when God is truly worshiped, there is a cycle of blessing that happens. He has wired this into his system of worship. When he is praised, then he speaks back to his people joy, peace, and purpose. And that's what's happening here. This is the exchange, the, the cycle of blessing. We praise the Lord and He speaks back joy, peace, 
and purpose. Joy, peace, and purpose are the byproducts of worship. It's not what worship is all about, but God has woven that into the system, and this is what's happening. And so the call comes, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. The church in Antioch was a unique church, a vibrant church, a worshiping church, and it's about to become a sending church. You see, up until this moment, the spread of the gospel message either happened as it was forced to spread because Christians were persecuted, or maybe an individual took it upon themselves to share the message. But in an organized effort, sending missionaries by the church body, this has not happened yet until now. This is new, but the church in Antioch is ready, ready to push the message forward. And they didn't know it, but they already had in their midst a man who God had set apart to do just that. We know him these days as the Apostle Paul. Here he's still called Saul. But in Acts chapter 9, as Saul has, as Saul has first come to know Christ, he said, God says to Ananias, this is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. You see, God has planned this. God has placed Saul in this moment with Barnabas so that as the church worships, they are there to be sent. The times are changing, and God is changing the times. It is God directing that change. And the church in Antioch was willing. The church in Antioch was ready. They, they, can, they are open to starting a new thing, a new way. And the reason is because they have an attitude that is born of faith. What is that attitude? Optimism. Faith breeds optimism. I'll say it again. Faith breeds optimism. If you're a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ today, you ought to be the most optimistic person in every room you go into, no matter what room you're in. Why? Because God is working in your life, and faith breeds optimism. And optimism is powerful. It opens our eyes. It opens our minds. And we're able to do new things. I love the story about optimism. It takes place between these uh, two twins. It's an old story, but, but maybe, maybe you be, you'll be reminded of it. Two twin boys who were born identical twins. They were alike in every way. Their mother dressed them the same, just like mothers do. And, and uh, you couldn't tell these two boys apart, except for their temperaments. One of those twin boys was an optimist, and one of those twin boys was a pessimist. And that, that pessimistic boy was just um, negative on everything. He, you couldn't get him to be positive, and the optimistic boy, you couldn't turn him negative. It just was a, a characteristic of their temperament. And so psychologists got interested in why this difference existed, and so they started to test the boys and put them in certain situations. One of them was they put the boys in a, in a, in a room with identical brand-new toys, the latest on the market, and they watched them to see what they would do. The negative boy didn't like the toys. They weren't the right toys. The toys didn't work. They weren't for him. But the positive boy was bringing those toys together and, and playing with them, trying to do it all at once. This went on and on, test after test. They could never get them to, 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 to be other than the temperament that they had. And so the, at one point, they were testing the optimistic boy, and they said, let's do something extreme. So they put him in a room with nothing but a pile of manure. 
and they let him, left him alone for a few moments. And then they came back and peered in to see what he was doing. And he was sitting in that room, grinning from ear to ear. And they, they came in and they said, How is it that you are so positive even though all you have here is a pile of manure? And his answer was this, With all this manure, there needs to be a pony around here someplace. The point of it is, optimism can direct your life and it's looking at the bright side of things can change the way you approach life. And that was the spirit at Antioch. Positive, faithful, optimism, ready to try, ready to do new things. And we already see that actually as we're being introduced to the church because we see that they are willing to train and raise up and deploy workers in their midst, mobilizing people to serve the Lord. They have prophets and teachers here, and, and they're using those folks. Those folks are using their gifts to bless the church and to move them forward. They had a willingness because they were optimistic about people. People can be trained up. People can, are, are gifted and can be deployed to serve the Lord, mobilized for His glory. We are committed here at Quail to sending forth workers in the, in the mobilization of ministry. In fact, we have a commission that is, just, is, is labeled the Equipping and Mobilizing Commission. Their task is to help people understand the way that God has wired them and then mobilize them into ministry because we know that that's going to be the best thing for them, to do the thing that God wants us to do. It's essential it's essential for each believer to ask the question, how has God wired me? And then to ask that second part, what's next in my service for the Lord Jesus? The church at Antioch allowed people to explore that. The church at Antioch uh, also mobilized people in, into ministry. We'll see that in terms of their missionary work. But here at Quail, we are committed also to mobilizing folks to, to maybe lifelong ministry as a career. And that is why our QLBC Foundation funds scholarships for seminary students. That's why we spend money to hire interns. And that's why we've just recently developed something new. We've worked with our mission partners to uh, raise up an internship in our missionary agencies. We connect with missionary agencies worldwide, and I realize that for some people, they're, they're uh, thinking about, praying about a ministry in another nation. But maybe you want to get a little touch for what being a missionary is like. We now are working with our missions organizations and saying we can place an intern there for six or nine months so they can get a, 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 a handle on what it's like to serve the Lord in a foreign country. Maybe that's you. If so, talk to our, our, our global focus team. They'll help you with that. The point is, this is what an optimistic church does. It mobilizes people in ministry. And the Antioch church was doing that. And the Antioch church I'll call a go church. Even though uh, uh, Saul and Barnabas are the ones who are physically going, in a sense, they're all in it together. Because every believer is a missionary. We all are meant to represent Jesus Christ. And so they send Saul and Barnabas with their prayers, with their support. And Saul and Barnabas leave this situation in Acts 13, the beginning portion here, and they embark on what we now call the first missionary journey. 
It starts in Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home area. It proceeds to, to Turkey. And in, in Turkey, they push inland 100 miles, and they ascend 3,600 feet up the Taurus Mountains. And there, there's a cluster of cities that they visit, seven cities. Most of them they visit twice. And all along the way, they're sharing the message of Jesus with both Jews and Gentiles alike. Along the way, Saul will emerge as the team leader, and he will use his Roman name, Paul, from then on. Uh, they will face ridicule. They will face violence, beatings, and illness, also disappointments, because they have a partner that, in our little section of Scripture we haven't talked about yet, John Mark, who leaves them in the middle of that journey, and they're greatly disappointed. But still, they go. And we learn a little bit, and they learn a bit, a bit about going in this journey. We learn that going is a team sport. We don't go alone. We must have the prayers and the support of others. And all of us are in this together. We are called together to be witnesses for Jesus. I read recently that, that we're, we're, dis, uh, we're discovering that, at least in the United States, typically an unbeliever who crosses the line of faith to come to faith in Christ has been influenced or had a meaningful contact with five, with five believing Christians before they do that. In other words, we're, we're all in this together. We need to help one another out in the way that we witness to our friends and loved ones. They also learn that going is for a purpose, and that purpose is gospel impact. They go with others in mind, giving them the message of Jesus Christ. Along the way, in order to do that, we need to notice what I call go moments. Opportunities where God gives us to speak a word or, or, to, or to do an action that will share the love of Jesus Christ. I heard a pastor talk about such a go moment once uh, in his life. He was invited to a party on a boat. It was a large boat. We wouldn't probably call it a yacht, but it was large enough so that they could gather people on the boat and have a party. And, and it was a secular crowd. The guy who invited him wasn't a believer as such, but they were friends. And so, so he went to the party. And uh, over the course of the party, the conversation and they, the crowd was drinking and so forth. It was a typical party scene. And uh, over, uh, all along the way, somebody found out that this gentleman was a pastor of a local church. And I can tell you from experience that nothing dampens the party atmosphere as fast as them discovering that you're a pastor. But nonetheless, they, they, they continued the party and so forth. And it wasn't until that pastor was leaving the party, literally had one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat, when a man called out from the midst of the party and he said, Hey, I've always wanted to ask this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What's that all about? Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, the party grew quiet. And he said, the pastor said, I knew that I had the attention of this group for about 40 seconds. Now, hold that thought for a moment. That was a go moment. 40 seconds to share what it means to be a believer. Could you share the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in 40 seconds? Well, let me tell you what he said, because I think this is uh, something that we all could, could use. He said this. Being a Christian involves the difference between two words, the words do and done. Religion is all about do, what you can do to earn forgiveness, what you can do for God. And you can never do enough. But Christianity is about what Jesus has done for us. 
He died on the cross to forgive our sins. He, he rose from the grave because he was God the Son. The way to God is finished. It is done. To become a Christian is to simply receive that gift of forgiveness and live in obedience to him. Do versus done. In fact, when Jesus is asked a similar question, he's even more succinct. He says this in John chapter 6, we read, it says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now let's picture that scene for a moment. Somebody in a crowd around Jesus asks this all important question. What work does God require of us? And rather than pushing the question aside, Jesus turns and he answers the question. He says, the work that God requires is this. Can you imagine being in that crowd? I imagine the crowd hushing. Jesus is about to tell us what God requires. Jesus is going to summarize what God wants from us. I can imagine everybody kind of leaning in to hear what Jesus is about to say. I imagine somebody, you know, asking for a pen or a pencil. Let me write this down. I want to, I want to capture this list of what he's going to say. What is the work that God requires? Jesus knows that's a goal moment. And he's, is what he says. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. Not much of a list. And in fact, God says if you turn to him in faith, he will help you believe. Believe in the one he has sent. It's a choice to trust. It always is. Do versus done. And so the church needs to be a sending church, needs to be a going church, needs to be an optimistic church, a place of hope. And we all play a role in allowing the church, meaning the people of God, to be what we are meant to be. And you never know the impact you're having as you do your part, as you play your role. You're probably familiar with the name Dwight Moody. D.L. Moody was a giant of the faith in the late 1800s. He founded a Sunday school program for children in Chicago that grew into Moody Church, which still exists today. He brought thousands of people to the Lord in, in the United States as well as England through evangelistic crusades that, where he was the primary speaker. In fact, he invented the formula, the format of the evangelistic crusade that Billy Graham used with success for many decades. D.L. Moody founded a great school that still bears his name, the Moody Bible Institute. And if you go into the waiting room of the office of the president of the Moody Bible Institute today, you're going to see a plaque on the wall. And that plaque is not there in recognition and honor of D.L. Moody. That plaque recognizes Edward Kimball. So who was Edward Kimball? No one has ever heard of Edward Kimball. You probably have never heard of Edward Kimball. But Edward Kimball was the Sunday school teacher that brought D.L. Moody to the Lord at age 17. It's through his witness that the Holy Spirit convicted D.L. Moody and he came to Christ. Nobody remembers the name of Edward Kimball, but God does. Because through his faithful witness with that young man, tens of thousands of people were affected for the gospel. You see, those of you who are Sunday school teachers, those of you who are, are youth workers, those of you who are worship leaders, those of you who serve in any capacity so that the gospel message go out, you will never know your impact. 
So listen to Paul's words of Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Why? Because people who go, grow. You are growing in the faith, and you are growing the kingdom of God, and God is working through us. That's what we're called to do, to go together for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You enlist us in Your service so that we may serve You well. We pray, Lord, for the opportunities we have. We know it's not associated with a building. We recognize that it's more about the way that we live. So help us live for you. Help us influence for you. Help us to go so that we might grow and the kingdom expand. And we'll give you the the praise and the thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The team comes to lead us in a song that will bring us to communion. Let's join Dana as she sings.
We're now going to go into our simple communion time together. For those of you who are watching at home and you're not prepared to partake in communion, we understand that, if that's the case. And uh, we say thank you for tuning in, and we trust that you'll be uh, tuning in again next week and worshiping with us. If you are prepared at home, that's great. Uh, we'll partake together. For those in the courtyard, you should have picked up some of our single-use communion packets, uh, and uh, you can uh, ready them now to participate. I want to share these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says this, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. Back up in verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. Unworthiness is not lack of perfection. Unworthiness is lack of belief and a, a lack of humility before our God. So as we come to the elements of communion, I'm going to invite you to take a moment and in silent prayer to prepare your hearts. Spend some moments thanking God that He is one who forgives and who cleanses and who purifies. And also confess that which you need to confess as we ready ourselves to partake. Would you bow for prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you that these are tangible symbols of your sacrifice that remind us of all that we have because of your work on the cross. Lord, we take these elements not because we must, but because we may. Not because we are perfect, but because we love you. Not because we are strong, but because we know we are weak and you are strong. Help us, Lord as we share communion today, to witness to the grace that we have found in you and to solidify our commitment to serving you. We love you and we want to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're in the courtyard with your communion packet, peel back the, the cellophane cover and you'll expose the wafer and as you do that, listen to these words. The apostle writes, For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together. And as we continue reading, you peel back the lower portion of the communion packet. And the apostle says, In the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And he adds, For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
we make that proclamation today. Let us drink together. If you're in the courtyard uh, today, we just stand for the benediction. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we leave this place rejoicing in all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inhabit the praise of your people and you inhabit your people to give us ability, to give us opportunity to show us the way. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the go moments we face this week. Enable us to give you praise so that the way we live, we can rejoice in all that we have in you and feel your direction through life. Help us, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week.